Please stand to honor the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Starting with Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your, bro <clears throat> if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you all this morning. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Christian Fellowship. Pastor Dave is away on a well-deserved, uh, needed uh, vacation. So we're taking a, a quick break in our series in the Gospel of John this morning. Lord willing, we're planning on picking that back up next Sunday. This morning, we have the distinct privilege of hearing a good friend of mine, Craig Furter. He is a member here at GCF North. If you haven't met him yet, you really need to meet this guy. He's one of the most encouraging uh, men I've, I've ever met. I'm really thankful for our friendship. Craig served for years and years as a pastor of youth and family in a, in a local church here in Spokane and currently serves as an associate professor of youth and family at Great Northern University, if you're familiar with, uh, with that institution here in town. So Craig is gonna, gonna share with us this morning. Craig, would you come up? Would you please welcome Craig for her? Thanks, John. Well, it is a privilege uh, to be able to study with you this morning. My wife Val and I, we thoroughly love being here at GCF. Um, definitely feel like many of you, as we're getting to know that you're brothers and sisters in Christ, you're challenging us to walk with the Lord and, and, uh, and be encouraged by Him and be faithful to Him. So grateful for this reality and anticipating it just continue to grow as, uh, as we get to know each other more and more. Like Josh had mentioned when we opened, if you were here really to find out about Jesus, you came to a really good church. Um, the apologetic series that's going on right now in Sunday school is addressing probably a lot of questions that you might be asking. So glad you're here. All of us who are Christians now had to, had to hear about him. We all had to ask our questions and get those answered and become convinced so that we might follow him. So I hope today is another piece of you uh, becoming convinced that Jesus is God and that he gave his life for yours on the cross and he did this so that the penalty for our sins, mine and yours, might be forgiven. So glad you're here. Let me pray to that end as we begin. 
Lord Jesus, I would ask on behalf of any person that is coming to GCF to find out if you are God and if you love them and if, you need, if they need your forgiveness and if you will really forgive them. Help them to see from your word, Lord, that the answer is a resounding yes. Work in their life this day. Amen. Well, first thing we need to do is you pro if you don't know the person sitting right next to you, um, turn and introduce yourself. Just first name, not a long story, just first name, if you don't know the person next to you. <laughs> okay, that's good, that's good, just first name, you, no life stories, no life stories. Now a question, a couple of questions. And I'll probably have to inter interrupt you at different times, but a couple of questions. How easy do you find it to forgive other people? Okay, spin back to that person and tell them. How easy do you find it to forgive somebody? Okay, another question, another question. Make sure both people get a chance to talk. When you have needed to forgive somebody, what was the internal struggle you went through? What did you have to wrestle with? Okay, go ahead. Okay, one more. When you have forgiven someone, but then your anger or resentment or bitterness kind of crept up again, how did you deal with that? Okay, don't discuss this one. Just think about this one. Have you ever chosen not to forgive someone? If you are like me, I think forgiveness is really hard. I was thinking, you know, and I apologize if this happened this morning. I thought, you know what's gonna happen? I'm gonna start with those questions and there's gonna be a husband and wife who came and they kind of had a fight before they got here. Now they're going, oh, great, you know? And so my apologies if that's the scenario, but maybe it greased the skids for you to talk now as, as you go home. But I think forgiveness is very hard, very hard. 1944, Dutch watchmaker, Corey Ten Boom. She and her family are arrested in the Netherlands for hiding Jews from the Nazis. 
Her father died shortly after being arrested. She and her sister were imprisoned in a, imprisoned in a different concentration camp, and her sister died there about 10 months later. Just a few months after that, the war ends and Corey's released. Fast forward to th uh, three years further. She's been invited to speak at a church in Munich, Germany. And as she completes her, her message, she sees people coming to want to talk to her afterwards. And she sees one of the guards who had been in the concentration camp coming down the aisle towards her. Could you forgive her? Could she forgive him, I should say? If you were her, could you forgive him? Should she forgive him? 1981, Pope John Paul II, he has an attempted assassination on his life and he's shot in the abdomen by a guy named Ali Agka. How do you respond when you're a high profile leader on the world stage and somebody does something that to you? Do you seek um, justice or show outrage? For longtime residents of Washington, you might recognize the name Gary Leon Ridgway. Ring a bell with anybody? His moniker you'll recognize, the Green River Killer. 2003, he confessed, confessed to the violent murder of 49 different women. He had done that over 20 years while he worked his day job in Auburn, Washington. Um, at Ridgeway's 2003 sentencing, the families who had been victims or their daughters or their sisters had been victims had a chance to speak to him at his sentencing. If you were a parent or a sibling of one of his victims, what would you say to him when it was your turn? I know a woman in Spokane, in fact, surprisingly, there's going to be nothing said here that would be embarrassing to her, but she's here today. I know a woman in Spokane whose 71-year-old father was attacked in 2003. He was just out taking his daily walk. The attacker struck him on the head with a blunt object and then drug him behind a dumpster to leave him to die, which he did about two weeks later, never gaining consciousness. Nothing, this is the only unsolved murder of 2002 here in Spokane, Washington, and nothing was ever found out about the person. They found his wallet in the front yard of a home right by the central campus, down by GNU in that area, and that's all they've ever found. So, if this person or persons who killed this lady's father is ever found, what should she say to him or them? What if they've become Christians since then? Does that change the scenario? I think forgiveness is really hard. One of Jesus' disciples, Peter, he was wrestling with this forgiveness issue. Peter doesn't allude to a specific incident that had happened to him, um, but you can tell from his questions that he's familiar with having to offer forgiveness and to being offended. And I think it's fair to say that um, at some point, Maybe even because of some things that were happening in the culture at that time, which we'll talk about here in a second, he had gotten to the point where he went, hey, Jesus on this forgiveness thing, when is enough enough? When do I finally say, forgiveness isn't on the table anymore? When do, when do I say that? 
Jesus. Well, everybody in here, you and I, we have probably wrestled with this issue in one sense or another. Forgiveness and when is enough enough? Our God gives an answer to that, a very straightforward answer to that. And so I'd invite you to open to Matthew 18 so we can see his answer. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 21. Uh, it used to be when you'd tell people to go ahead and turn to that, that place, then you would just listen to pages turning. And when the pages quit turning, you'd know everybody's ready. And now it's all electronic, and I just have to see when you're done doing this. You know, so. Matthew 18. Peter's question and Jesus' answer is embedded in a, a larger context, and that's why I'd ask to have uh, Matthew 15 up to our verse read this morning. And so the context of our passage that we're going to look at, here's the gist of it again. If you find yourself being sinned against by a brother in Christ, here's what you're supposed to do. Confront them about their actions, and if they repent, wonderful. And if they don't, bring a witness or two and confront them again. And if they repent, that's so good. And if they don't, bring them before the church and confront them again. And if they repent, beauty. And if they don't, treat them as a pagan, not as a brother and sister in Christ, but as an unbeliever. And at some point after that interaction, Jesus comes and he asks, or Peter comes and he asks Jesus a question. And it was this, well, how many times, Lord, do I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? So if we think of the context and put it together, it might sound like this. Okay, now let's say that I talk to them, this person that's offended me, and, and they say, I'm sorry, they repent, and so I forgive them. But then they turn around, and in the long run, they sin against me again. So we talk again, and they repent. Good, we move forward, but in the long run again, they do it again. And, G and Peter's question is, when do I say, enough, no more chances? Or maybe it sounds very specific like this. There's this person in my youth group, in my college group, in my home group. And at, uh, there's been times where I've heard that they've talked kind of mean-spirited about me, kind of maliciously. Now, I heard about it, and I confronted them, and they seemed genuinely sorry, but then I hear that they're talking about me again. Now what? Or, my Christian family member has these angry outbursts, then remorse, and they say they're sorry, and they boom, they crack a head gasket again, followed by brokenness, but then again, when can I say, hey, no more? You're not really sorry, and even if you are, enough is off the table. Jesus has an answer for Peter about that question. And the question that, uh, or the answer that he gives, it was for him, it was for anybody in, in uh, earshot, and it's for you and I 2,000 years later. This is the answer to that question. Verses 21 and 22, Matthew 18. Then Peter came up and he said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And then Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. A couple of things before we read, uh, we read on. Um, it's easy for me anyway when I hear this uh, to think, oh my goodness, um, seven times. I, I don't know if I would ever put a number to it. Culturally back then, 
And it was some, from, from some really strange uh, exegesis that the Jews had done with an Old Testament passage. The Jews had come to the conclusion that you only had to forgive three times. Three times, that's it. The passage is Job 33, and when I read it, I go, <laughs> I have no idea why you would come to the conclusion that that's what Jesus was teaching there. But that's where they landed, and they said three times, that's it. And even that, when I, when I think of it, I go, I don't like putting a number to things, but if I got to be honest with myself, I'm not real good about people offending me and being quick to forgive. And then if they come back and do it again, it's really hard. And you get to three or four times, and, and now it's become very difficult to forgive somebody. So I, um, I don't think that it's strange that uh, the Jews maybe would have landed on a number or that, or that Peter may be thinking, look at how generous I am, seven times, you know, would have come up with that number. But, but Jesus' response is, no, Peter, it's 77 times. Or you may have, a, uh, in, your, in your version, it may, seven, may say seven times 70. Or you've got a footnote that says some manuscripts read seven times 70. The point isn't the number as much as, Peter, it's always. You always have to forgive. There's never a time where we don't forgive. Um, we need to clarify something else before we, we read an illustration then that Jesus gives to drive home his point. The context is about how to treat uh, one another inside the family of Christ. I mean, Peter says, how often will my brother sin against me? So are the things that Jesus says, you know, in answer to that and the, par or the uh, parable that he gives after that, is it only in interactions between you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ? And just to get real clarity for myself, I, I went back and looked for myself, and I wanted to be sure. And Scripture is definitely clear on, no, the things that Jesus says is about any relationship that we have. Think of these, the Lord's Supper, May, or, uh, Matthew chapter 6. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Not limited to just between you and me as brothers and sisters. Or Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. So they don't know what they're doing. Definitely not talking to his followers at that point. So... These things are, all these things he says are about relationships that we as believers have with anybody and how we're to treat them. Okay, now into the story. So, um, how many times? Seven? No, seven, 77 times. And then, and then Jesus tells this story to drive his point home. And, I, you know, when we read these stories, too, um, it's not a real account you know, and so I wonder sometimes, does Jesus, when he tells, the, when he reads this, does he read this as a storyteller? Is there flair, you know, or is, I think the chosen has kind of pushed us to think maybe Jesus wasn't, um, you know, actually a British guy with long brown hair and blue eyes and, and speaks, you know, maybe he actually, you know, had a personality in his humanity. And so uh, his story, therefore the kingdom of heaven, Peter, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's a lot. People say that, that could be as much as, uh, as a trillion dollars even, but billions of dollars for sure. Okay, so 
Uh, one was brought to him who owed him billions of dollars. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. A pretty normal Old Testament and first century practice. If I owe something, my family may have to be indentured for the sake of paying off this debt. So the servant fell on his knees and he implored him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, not a small amount, but more like thousands. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants heard what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. Peter, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Man, great story and great storyteller. Um, and story sometimes when I hear that word, I think not true. Not the situation in this. This is, this is our God embedding theological truth, uh, truth we're supposed to live out in a story that's gripping. Okay, let's let some of this, the truth of this sink in. If I'm going to forgive someone, it's going to mean this. You hurt me, but I will remove your guilt in my eyes and not blame you any longer. If I'm going to forgive somebody, that's what it means. You hurt me, but I will remove your guilt in my eyes and not blame you any longer. This isn't forgiveness like between a person and God. Only he can do that forgiveness. And Jesus you know, had to pay the penalty on the cross for those sins. But between you and I, at a horizontal level, you hurt me. But I will remove your guilt from my eyes and not blame you any longer. Forgiveness, we for sure know this, but let's just get it out since we're talking about it here. Forgiveness is not forgetting. I don't even think we can really do that. Thoughts come up and the propensity for people to repeat um, some offenses make it prudent for us to not forget even, you know? So for instance, if we knew somebody in our, in our church family was a repentant pedophile, he or she's probably not going to work in the nursery, even if they're repentant and God's done some work in their life. If we have a member in our body that is a repentant embezzler, probably not going to be the church treasurer, you know? So there are some things that are just wise for us to remember, but that doesn't mean we can't forgive, but it's not the same. Forgiveness also is not saying that what they did was no big deal. Ah, no big deal. I just forgive you. Well, a lot of things are a big deal. Some of them are brutal, 
and they still have huge impacts on our life or things that we've done to other people on their life. There may still be consequences for the person that are necessary, even, if we, even when we do forgive them. There might still be jail time. There might still be a fine. There might still be public shame. There might be loss of employment. For sure, there's loss of trust. There's still consequences, but at a horizontal between you and I, I need to offer forgiveness. You need to offer forgiveness. Jesus says, those who are a part of my kingdom, my followers, they must forgive one another. You and I probably have a question too as we read through this. Peter's question was specific about people who would come back and say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And that's not always the situation. Sometimes there's beefs between people or we have rubs against uh, other people and, and it doesn't appear that reconciliation is on the table. Nobody's asking for forgiveness. You know, what do we do in those kind of situations? Well, being willing to forgive is not the same as reconciliation. Reconciliation is impossible until the offender asks for forgiveness. And then it's possible, reconciliation. But you and I can still be forgivers and have a disposition of offering forgiveness even if the other person isn't asking for it. Uh, easiest model, what you were in my experience was with Jesus. He had already died on the cross. He had already been offering his forgiveness. But until the day came that we went, I am a sinner, Jesus. Forgive me. I need your forgiveness. There was no reconciliation between us and him. Same at a horizontal level. We can offer, we need to be people that offer forgiveness. But reconciliation is a different thing. Okay. Um, this is a command. It's an expectation from God that I don't think is easily embraced in my mind and my heart and my, my soul. If I slow down and listen to myself in those situations where I'm irritated, where I feel like somebody has done something, these are the things I kind of hear in my head. I am justified in not forgiving them. They don't deserve to be forgiven. My heart, man, I want them to suffer. I want no relationship with them, and I intend to avoid them as long as I live. Sometimes those are my first thoughts or my emotional things, my emotional feelings inside. And Jesus says to Peter, and Jesus says to me, in my kingdom, I have declared the rules. They flow out of my nature and my character. I myself live by those rules. And so must you as my son, Greg. You must always forgive one another. Here's what I think is most compelling or penetrating to me when I read this story. Here's one. There are no exceptions. There are no exceptions in this command. Not a matter of times. How many times? 77? Forever, you know, pretty much. Always. What if it's really big? Uh, 10,000 talents? There are no exceptions, no matter how many times or how big the offense is. I'm always supposed to forgive. We're always supposed to forgive. You are always supposed to forgive. No exceptions. And there are some big offenses that I bet are represented in this room. 
A rape victim, victim doesn't walk away from that offense unscathed. And if you were a person that has experienced you know, long-term uh, physical abuse or abandonment, that's gonna leave some sort of imprint on your life forever during your time here on earth. A Christian's partner, uh, Christian partner's betrayal in a business deal will make for deep wounds and potential financial ruin. When someone embezzles your life savings like they did my wife's mom, Forgiveness is about the last thing on our minds. And still God says, every time, no exceptions. You know, let's make sure there's a difference between civil, civic response and what authorities are supposed to do, you know? This is, this is at a horizontal level between me and an offender. At a civic level, there's got to be laws, and there has to be just, uh, justice, and there has to be uh, punishment, and there's got to be, um, uh, it starts with an R, and I can't think of the word. Anyway, um, that, you know, there's got to be some consequences for that, or our society is chaotic. But between me and the offender, I need to forgive, and you need to forgive with me. Another penetrating truth in Jesus' answer God's forgiven the incomparable debt. You and I, we immediately realize when we read that story that God is the king and he forgives the insurmountable and beyond calculation and ridiculously unpayable debt that is ours. And much of the forgiveness that I think I wrestle with, I was going to say we, and maybe you're just like me, but I'm not going to put you on the spot, so I'll just say me. Some of the, some of the things that I wrestle with seem so petty when I visit this story from Jesus. Things that just have no weight in comparison. I was offended. You took this. You said that. Oh, there's some things that, like we said, are much worse. But nonetheless, when we compare it with what God has forgiven us, doesn't even compare. He doesn't say it'll be easy though. The amount of money that is owed in this story, the 100 denarii, it's still a lot of money. It's um, 100 denarii, we're, we're told about two chapters later that a denarii is the equivalent of about a day's wage. So multiply 100 of your day's wages and come up with whatever the amount is. The average, I just Googled real quick, the average is about $5,000 a month is our, is our median wage here in Spokane. So $17,000, $18,000. I want that back, you know? If somebody owes me that or took that from me, I want that back. So it's not like the things that happen to us are necessarily small or trivial. But God says we're supposed to forgive. And in comparison to what he's done, they are quite small. A third penetrating truth. The consequences of choosing to not be a forgiver is to not be forgiven. Oh man, what's that mean? Is it possible that a person could lose their salvation for not forgiving? What if I'm really ticked at somebody this very morning? Is my salvation on the line? This is what I think is clearly taught throughout scripture and it fits with this. It, uh, Jesus has told this story to Peter. How many times should I forgive my brother? Well, it's supposed to be forever. It's supposed to elicit a response from you and me as we read it, as we read it. Okay, Lord, I think I get it. This is always, right? 
I'm always supposed to forgive, right? That's the response that's supposed to be you know, elicited from us as it is. So I believe Jesus' point is this. As part of uh, whatever, you know, when we repented and we came to Christ, as part of that, that included any unforgiveness that we had. We were repenting from being a non-forgiver. Forgiveness is a journey, working through cycles of angry emotions. It's a human experience. It's hard. But a true disciple of Christ must want to want to be a forgiver. Let me give some other ideas here that might help make this gel even more deeply into our thinking. I can't claim to be a follower of Christ if I'm a liar and I decide that I'm not going to change that area of my life. I intend to continue to lie. I can't call myself a Christian. That's really clear. God wants us to follow his things. And if I'm just saying, no, not that one, God, probably not a Christian. If I claim to be a follower of Christ and I am sexually immoral and decide that I'm not going to change in that area of my life, I intend to continue to be sexually immoral. Probably not a believer. Pretty clear what Jesus wants, and he's called us to follow him and follow his commands. So, in the same way, I can't claim to be a follower of Christ if I'm not a forgiver and decide that I am not going to change in that area of my life, and I intend to be vengeful and keep on being unforgiving. Okay, let's, let's bring in an obvious balance to this. Does that mean a Christian will never lie? Well, no, that doesn't mean you and I will never lie. But a Christian will know that it's sin and will repent and will want to live a life of honesty. Does that mean a Christian will never be sexually impure? No, probably not. But, that do, but it does mean that that Christian doesn't want to live that life and wants to live a life of purity and is going to pursue that and ask for forgiveness and repent and move that direction. Does a Christian never struggle with forgiveness? No. But a Christian will know that being unforgiven is a sin and they'll repent and they'll want to be a dispenser of forgiveness. One last penetrating thought from this. When I forgive someone, it has to come from my heart. Uh, that's the hardest one of all of these to me, I think. I can't just hold off retaliation. I can't just substitute true forgiveness with, I'll be civil around them, I'll smile. Jesus says this forgiveness needs to be genuine. You and I must genuinely hold out forgiveness with an attitude that says, I am not going to blame you any longer. In my eyes, I see you as not guilty. I don't believe it happens immediately. It's a journey to be sure. But we must go on that journey. I had a situation sometime, some time ago that was a lot like this. There were about three or four Christians in this situation whom I had had a fallout with. We had a lot of different conversations to try and, you know, kind of fix that situation. And it didn't seem like anything worked. And when we were all done, there was just this tension between us still. So much tension, you know, that if I saw them in Costco, it'd be a turn of aisles, you know, and try to stay away from them, from them. I just didn't want to see them. I was so irritated. And I was also, I'm sure Holy Spirit involved in my life, I was also very unhappy that we couldn't fix this. And I remember one day, I was kayaking, actually, and I'm kayaking, I'm talking to God about this, and I remember one day, and I'm sure it's the Holy Spirit kind of connecting dots with a lot of things from Scripture, and this thought came to my mind, you know what? 
a day is going to come in heaven when you're going to like those people again. And I thought, yeah, that's the truth. A day's coming, and I'm really, from my heart, going to like them. And I found that was like a real turning point inside of me. I started thinking, man, I, you know, I don't dislike you as much anymore. I don't blame you as much anymore. And I see you in Costco, and I might push you out of the way to get to the, to the uh, samples first, but I still, I'll talk to you, you know. And, and so it just seemed like that was part of God's process in being faithful to me as I wanted to be a forgiver to help me start being a forgiver. So this isn't just a good reminder for us. This truth does not allow us to limit it to just a good, a good story on Jesus' part. Or, nice question, Peter. That was, that was pretty insightful on you. And you and I will probably not follow Jesus perfectly as forgivers. That's why Jesus had to come. He had to come and forgive us. But as God's, as he promises, he is molding you and he's molding me into his likeness so that we will become like him. And we will more and more be able to have that our default reaction to forgive. I hope it's said of me one day, like father, like son. How sweet would that be? Okay, a couple thoughts on how to become a forgiver. Come back and revisit this parable often. You know, as you and I are trying to, you know, become like Christ and, and as he's working in us, making us like him, come back to this parable often. Be reminded of the great forgiveness God gave us uh, in comparison to what we usually have to forgive. Another thing, come under the authority of God. This is a command in this passage. Um, you know, how many times, Jesus, hoping you'll say one, hoping you'll say two, 77, ooh, you mean always like... Yep, come under that authority. Everything that God tells us is always for our best, you know, for our good or for our protection. Either it's going to provide something great or protect us from something miserable. So come under that authority. So, I mean, you and I have to really think this way. I choose to forgive because I've been forgiven and as I have been commanded to forgive. Come under God's authority. Last scenario, there's got to be, or, well, last just comment, there's got to be situations in here with, you know, all of us here where reconciliation is, is not on the table. Paul makes it really clear in Romans. Leave those situations to God. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. So in those situations where you're ready to be a forgiver, but nobody's saying, hey, would you forgive me? Just leave those to God. Let him take care of those. Okay, follow up to the accounts of the people that I mentioned at the beginning. Corey Ten Boom, as the guard for the concentration camp approached her, the concentration camp where her sister, or where she and her sister had been in prison and where her sister had died, as that guard came down the aisle towards her, she said she had to stop and she had to pray, and then she said, God gave me the strength to reach out my hand and to offer forgiveness to that man. Those who are part of God's kingdom, his family, must offer forgiveness. 
Pope John Paul II, en route to the hospital right after he had been shot. He was already talking to the ambulance drivers and saying, I've got to forgive that man. I've got to express my forgiveness to that man. And a little over a year later, he visited Akka in, present, uh, or in prison, and he personally again stuck out his hand and offered him forgiveness. Those who are a part of God's kingdom, his sons and daughters, must offer forgiveness. At his sentencing, Gary Ridgway, a.k.a. the Green River Killer, he stood before many of the family members of the 49 women that he had killed, and understandably, a lot of them were angry, and they lashed out at him and, and uh, told him how much they hated him. And as he listened, stone-faced, to person after person come up, one person came up and surprised him. A man named Robert Rule, the father of teenage victim Linda Jane Rule. This is what he said. Mr. Ridgway, there are people here who hate you. I am not one of them. You have made it difficult to live up to what I believe God says to do, and that is to forgive. And then it says there was a long pause. And then this. You are forgiven, sir. And it said, the, the journal uh, said, he broke. That Ridgeway broke down and wept at that point. Those who are a part of God's kingdom, you and me as his followers, we must offer forgiveness. That lady in Spokane whose father was murdered and killed and never caught, that's my sister. And she and I used to talk about this often. What if dad's murderer was ever found? What will we say to him or to them? And we both agreed, as terrible as a scenario that was, as hard as that was to walk through, as much as we felt like we had stolen from us, we would have to forgive him. We've been forgiven. We're part of God's kingdom and in his kingdom and his family. Forgiveness is a part of what it means to follow him. GCF family, this must be our life's resolve on this issue. God is a forgiver. And as his sons and daughters, we must be forgivers too. Agreed? Agreed. Let me pray for us.